0: Before we get into the study tonight, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 26. Of course, on Sunday, it was Palm Sunday. And um, I think I began the study by saying Jesus had a little less than a week before he would be crucified. And so, before we get into our study tonight, I'd like to go to Matthew 26, and show you what the Lord was doing today, which would be, in two days, it's going to be um, Good Friday. And again, we have a a service at 1 o'clock. But this final week, usually um, what's important to a person are his final words. And it's interesting to me, as you look at Matthew 26, the first couple of verses. It says, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all of these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. That would make that tonight. So if you want to get a bearing on the week from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, to the Resurrection Sunday, this coming, what we call Easter, um, these would have been Jesus' last words. Well, that began in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, we call this the Olivet Discord. And it's really uh, Jesus talking about the times that we're living in. He talks about the Great Tribulation. He talks about the Rapture. Um... In verse 27 of uh, Matthew 24, he talks about his second coming, that every eye will see him, and that's in contrast to the rapture where we go up to meet him. But we have all of this in what we call the Olivet Discourse, and that these are Jesus' final words. So it came to pass... Verse 26, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, what sayings? Well, he's talking about the Olivet Discourse. And these would have been Jesus' last words um, because it says it's now two days before the Passover. So in our time, that would be this evening. It would be this Wednesday. All right, the other thing I'd like to do before we get started here is um, laying a contrast between the early church being all Jewish and no Gentiles. So let's start by going to Matthew chapter 15. And uh, let me draw your attention to verse 21. And we're going to be introduced to a Gentile woman so Matthew fifteen twenty one says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, they're Jews. She's a Gentile. And the disciples are saying, you know, salvation is about being Jewish. And so the disciples say, send her away. And he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I believe this is um, what I would call setting the disciples up for what is about to happen in our Bible study tonight. And then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Um, Sounds like a derogatory term to this woman, calling her a dog, but it was a, a common phrase back then between the Jews and the Gentiles, just as it was with the Jews and uh, the Samaritan. They have no dealings with each other. Then he said, she said, True Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She's humbling herself before the Lord. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire and her daughter was healed from that very hour. So the Lord honored her, what we would call a prayer request, called him Lord, son of David, and he healed this. But what I want you to see is the disciples' response, send her away, she's a Gentile. We anybody dealings with the Gentiles. Gentiles are Gentiles, and the salvation belongs to the Jews. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter nine, Romans nine let 's look at the first five verses for starters, and the question that arises here, and uh, how many of you have heard the term dual covenant or dual covenant see is that a new term for, for most of you? Okay, what it is is a, a teaching, um, and some pretty good Bible teachers hold to this doctrine that God has two covenants. He made a covenant with Israel, and then he made a covenant with the church. And if you're a Jew, you're automatically in, just because you're Jewish. And some good, because of of the promises that were made um, uh, through David. But Paul sets that straight here in Romans 9, verse 1, let's read the first five verses, and I'll read some at the end of the chapter also. Now he's talking as a Jew. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed for Christ for my brethren, the kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking about He's a Jew, but he's clearly saying, I would gladly give up my salvation if it meant that they would be saved. Okay, I love you guys. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Paul can say that, uh, but giving up my salvation, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> but he says it, he says, I, I would do it Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption of the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. They all belong to the Jews. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternal blessed God. Amen. I'll jump over to verse 30. What shall we say then? Now, again, we're making a distinction between Gentiles and Jews. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. So he's making something clear here um, that a Gentile uh, did not pursue the righteousness, meaning the law, and yet they're saved because of faith. On the contrary, the Jews sought to keep the law, but they did not attain to the law. In other words, they couldn't live up to it um, of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it was written Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. He's referring to Jesus Christ. They, he offended them, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Um, this is one of the most incredible scriptures to me, that um, the deeds in one's life that uh, bring shame and, and um, to think that they would ever be openly um, exposed to all Um, that's never going to happen to the believer. We have the judgment seat of Christ, but it has nothing to do with your sins. It only has to do um, with the motive of your heart of what things you've done for Christ. Remember, it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, for your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So we're talking about getting rewards, but if you do it openly so people can see it, you got your reward. But if you do it with the right motive, and that's what 1 Corinthians 3 is all about. It's why we do what we do. And um, some, there's one person that that talks about that goes to heaven, has no good works at all. He lived his whole life. Uh, Some point along his life, he said, Lord, I accept you into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. My, My Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Good place for an amen? All right, apart from works. And this guy has no works. And in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, even though he had absolutely no works at all, even so his soul will be saved in that day. Because salvation has nothing to do with works. But he did believe in Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? Okay, so that's what's being said right here in Romans 9. Um, gentiles did not pursue righteousness but we received righteousness because we accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ which makes me righteous and therefore it also makes you righteous turn with me to acts chapter 22 we touched on this last week when paul was before um before the this crowd and in chapter 21, the last verse, he, he motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. So he has their attention. And basically, he is giving his personal testimony. This is one of the places we went to last Wednesday. And it's pretty much line for line the same, a couple details that are added. And he's getting their attention because of his testimony and they're listening to him. Until, let's pick it up in verse, um, in verse 19 he's giving his testimony. Everywhere he went, every synagogue I was imprisoned and then beaten up and uh, by those who believed on you. But when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes to which um, who were killing him. So basically, he's saying, look, I have persecuted these Christians more than anybody else. And um, so they're being drawn in, they're listening. I think he's got them in the palm of his hand. And then he said to them, depart, for I will send you from here to the Gentiles. And now everything changes because he used that word Gentile. And they listened to him until this word. What word? The word Gentile. And they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And as they cried out and tore off their clothes, they threw dust into the air. A complete flip from like Agrippa saying, Paul, that's a pretty heavy testimony. Matter of fact, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. But he never, he couldn't give up the fact that uh, Jesus would be king when he's King Agrippa. So I'm, I'm taking you to these chapters because I want to make a distinction of the animosity, I guess would be a good word, between the Jews and the Gentiles as far as salvation was concerned because what we're gonna get into tonight, let's go back to Acts 9 with that little bit of a background. As we get into chapter 10, remember um, the first half of chapter 9, um, we're still talking about Paul And uh, the Lord appears to him. He's blind for three days. Um, Ananias goes and prays for him. He receives his sight. And the Lord tells him how many things he must suffer. He's going to be called to, um, oh, verse 15, go, for he is chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. So Ananias knew kings, that would be Agrippa, And the children of Israel. So this is his calling and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Saul witnesses and um, they can't dispute his preaching and so they want to kill him and so the disciples sneak him out down to um, um, where the Hellenists were down in Caesarea, verse 30. They sent him down in Caesarea, and then he went to Tarsus, and he was there for about seven years. So they're trying to save Paul's life because there's people who want to kill them. Now, the rest of the chapter, remember, we switched from Paul to Peter, beginning with 32. We have Paul heals um, this man who was bedridden for eight years, And then from 36 to the end of chapter 9, we have Peter raises uh, Dorcas at Joppa. Um, This woman who um, the Lord used Peter to bring her back to life. That brings us to chapter 10. Remember that Paul had been in Caesarea, that's Acts 9.30, And probably some of the other apostles had been there preaching the gospel along the coast. Um, As one travels up the coast from Joppa, the next city up from Joppa would be Caesarea. I talked about this last week, how different the two cities are. Tel Aviv, very cosmopolitan, very worldly, very sinful. Joppa, on the other hand, is extremely quaint, um, you love just to walk the cobblestone streets and uh, the coffee houses that they have. Two completely different sets of cities altogether. Um, but it was in Caesarea. This is where Pilate lived uh, for years. Skeptics um, would not accept that Pilate existed because there was no archaeological. Evidence of him anywhere, but when we go to Caesarea, um, we actually go to a particular spot where there's a stone about this this tall and um, a little bit smaller than the pulpit I suppose, and it's broken off it's a copy the originals in a museum in Europe, but it is a decree signed by Pilate, and so it shows now This really bothers the atheists who have to have archeological proof for everything. The Bible's always right, and the archeologists will catch up sooner or later. That's pretty much the way it is. And So so here you have this um, artifact, which is a replica, um, because it's so rare. It's the only place that they could find um, Pilate actually signing something so that would, Caesarea, I've, I told you before, is absolutely a beautiful place to go to. It is here. Uh, the governor and those who ruled the land stayed there. Well, if you'd ever seen Caesarea, you'd want to stay there too. Philip did. When he went from Gaza, he went, he went to Joppa, but he ended up living and had five daughters, if I remember right, uh, in Caesarea. This is where Cornelius was stationed. Cornelius was a centurion, which means he was a commander of a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. Uh, The Italian band was a, a concord of Roman soldiers recruited in Italy. So this is where Cornelius would have come from. And the chapter is really about the first Gentile receiving salvation. So let's pick it up in verse one and two, where we read, now there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout devout man, one who feared God, with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So a little bit of his background. And um, his rank and his authority, he was over 100 other men. And in 3 and 4, it tells us about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. So we're talking um, 3 p.m., the ninth hour of the day. And when he observed him, he was afraid, which is always the case when a man encounters an angel. They're always afraid. And said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. You've been praying, the Lord's been listening, and now the Lord has sent me to tell you I, I always pause and think about this. I mean, here you've got an angel right in front of you who can lay it out pretty clearly. <laughs> and if you hear the gospel from an angel, I think that would be a pretty powerful witness, right? That's not what happens here. It says in verse five, now, send men to Joppa. So again, this is um, um, a short, really a short walk between Joppa and Caesarea. And he's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So you can see his rank and his authority Uh, because of his position, his prominence. He was looked up to. And um, he had people um, doing whatever he asked him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to to Joppa. And I don't know how much of the story that he told, but um, the word is out, you have to go to Joppa, look for this guy named Simon Peter who's staying with um, uh, Simon uh, a tanner so this would have been a guy who um, I suppose was was the butcher and, and um, tanning hides and so on and so forth. Alright these verses here 1 through 8 would sort of be our introduction and now Cornelius has had this unbelievable experience of an angel saying well go send for this guy and he'll tell you what you need to do so in verses 9 through 22 uh, Peter has to get educated because he's Jewish and he's saved and all of the church up till this chapter are Jews there are no Gentiles so we find the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, well, Peter went up on a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Well, let me tell you something about Israel. What you call your back porch <laughs> is the, the top of the house of most of the houses in Israel. It's flat. They have their patio furniture out there, and uh, that's where they go And they probably write songs like Up on the Roof or something like that, I don't know. (laughs) And it just slipped out, it just happens. (laughs) But that's the way it is in most of the, a lot of the houses in, in Israel. And this is where he is, he's on the housetop to pray and it was about noon, it was lunchtime and he's hungry. And then he became very hungry and he wanted to eat, but while they made ready some falafels, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Is everybody following this? A great big picnic. Uh, basket with, that was coming down out of, out of heaven. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Now, in the Old Testament, there were things that were clean to eat, and then there were things that were unclean, uh, what we would call kosher. And what was coming down on the sheet Were things that were unclean. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, eat and kill. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Is that an oxymoron or what? That's just Peter, you know? Not so, Lord. How could you say that? Why did he say it? For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Ooh, he's a good Jewish boy. Kept the law. Ate only what was kosher, And nothing that was unclean. And uh, a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. Peter has a thick skull and as a result it has to be repeated three times and each time he comes down he says not so Lord, not so Lord and um, what God has cleansed you cannot call unclean. Well he doesn't know why this is happening quite yet. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now While Peter was wondering within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry of Simon's house, so they came into town and said, hey, where's the house of Simon the Tanner? Everybody knew where it was. And uh, this is that place over there. And he stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, remember, he's hungry, and he's had this incredible vision, and he's thinking, what in the world, Lord, are you trying to do here? Behold, three men, they came to Peter and said, look, there's there's three guys downstairs and they're looking for you. Arise, go, Uh, with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, uh, I'm the one you're looking for. Why? What have you come here for? What do you guys want? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, he's a nice guy, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations, of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. So from 19 to 22, we have um, this vision of, of Peter's. And in 23 through 28, And 23, then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. And in the meantime, um, Cornelius is getting all excited. He knows that there's gonna come a guy that's going to come to him and explain. How do I know you, Lord? How can I come and have a relationship with you? He's tried to do it by giving alms and good works. it would be a nice guy. Everybody likes him. Um, but that's not the answer. And as far as Peter is concerned, um, they're Gentiles. And Gentiles like we read earlier, are not part of God's plan. He's been sent to the chosen sheep of Israel. So, but he's excited, so what he does is, while Cornelius was waiting for them, he had called together his relatives and close friends. And he wants them to hear what, the, what this guy, Simon Peter, has to say. And Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Peter wouldn't have any of that. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am a man. Now, I need to stop and explain something here. Peter stepping into the house, what a step that was. It was the first time that Peter had ever been in a Gentile home. It's like Jesus and the woman at the well. We have no dealings. What are you doing talking to me? And because he was Jewish, and they had nothing to do with Gentiles. This would have been the first time that he actually entered into a Gentile's house. He still is really a little baffled here at God's command to go there. And yet, that's what I think is starting to sink in what God has cleansed. Don't call unclean. He violates this first rule of homiletics when he begins his message with an apology. What he says is not a friendly thing to say. In fact, it's an insult. So let's get into that. Read a little bit farther. So Peter reproves him for worshiping him and Peter saying I'm just a guy too. And he says in verse 28, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to uh, another nation, but God has showed me. Okay, now the lights come on. God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This is the reason for the vision. Everything that Peter was told to rise up to kill and eat not so, Lord can't do it, I'm a Jew. It's not kosher. Yeah, but you don't understand, I've cleansed it. And if I cleanse it, you don't call anything common or unclean. And now, it's all coming to him. Ah, that's the reason for the vision. I get it, Lord. Gentiles are unclean, and yet, you're calling me here. And he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Uh, Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? What do you want? (laughs) And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. Now the purpose for a fast is Whatever you feed is stronger. Most of us are pretty good at feeding the flesh and uh, very poor at fasting. When you deny the body the food, the flesh becomes weaker, but the spirit becomes stronger. And uh, that's why there's fasting. I think fasting is especially important when there's big decisions. that need to be made, what to do, and just get away from it all, you have to hear from the Lord. So you put all these other things aside and uh, you're basically saying, Lord, I wanna make sure this next step with you is the right one. So what I'm gonna do, is like the Lord when he started his ministry, 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and it was at this weakness that he, he grew hungry too. And that's where the temptation came in. If you're the son of God, Lucifer said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. He knew he was hungry. So he attacked him at his weakest point. And, you know, as we grow in the Lord, aren't we told not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices? And so he knows what your weaknesses are. So those are the areas he goes after. But where you can strengthen yourself in these areas is denying the flesh, as Jesus did here. And he was able to, by the way, Satan was quoting scripture. Um, and he he knows scripture. And the Lord would quote scripture back to him, but only in the right context. So... Um, Cornelius said he was fasting until this hour so he he wanted some answers and so he was denying himself uh, physical food so that his spirit would be stronger. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. The Lord is recording everything, the things that you do. um, Again, this is 1 Corinthians 3, as, as far as your rewards. Right here, we're told in verse 31, I'm remembering everything you've done, Cornelius. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter, he's lodging, in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So, I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded you by God. Peter, you have the answers. We're waiting, and we want you to explain what we need to do. So Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. God is no respecter of persons. And um, this is on a learning curve for Peter because he thought that the covenants were given to the Jews and the Jews only. And not to the Gentiles. But um, this is opening up a whole new era of what we call the church age that really um, is beginning with this first Gentile. Uh, there are Messianic believers. I have some very good friends in Israel. Uh, there's a quite, um, in Tiberias, which is right in the middle of where the Sea of Galilee is. It's halfway between where Caperdium would be and there's a nice um, uh, kibbutz called uh, Ma'agan, one of the most beautiful places. It's beautiful because they got green grass around the whole thing. So if you're looking at the Dead Sea, it reminds me of Lake Winnebago. How's that for a comparison? It, It actually is the same shape except the Sea of Galilee is smaller. But um, Capernaum would be where Manasseh would be, okay? And um, where Ma'agon would be on the bottom, that would be Fond du Lac. <laughs> Right where Oshkosh would be, <laughs> right in the middle, is um, where um, this would have been taking place. It'll come to me, I'll bring it up. And so he says in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, of truth I perceive that God shows no partiality but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness, Tiberius there it was, I knew it would come. In Tiberius they have one of the largest messianic Jewish fellowships there. And I actually know the guy who is sort of sort of uh, one of the overseers of this. He used to run a place called the Galilean experience, which is a must when you're visiting Israel because it shows a whole history of of uh, Israel. I have very, very fond memories of this place. So it's Tiberias. That would be right in the middle where I would say Ashkosh would be. So if you can track with that. Verse 36, the word which God said to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Well, John started his ministry if you go to the northern tip of the Dead Sea, there's a place called Qumram. And it would have been, the Essenes were a very strict order of the, the Jewish um, uh, religious community. And um, they completely dedicated their whole life to God. And it's well thought of and I personally believe that John the Baptist was a part of this because where he baptized was very very near to this spot uh, down by Jericho it would have been the Jordan River but this is way down in the south and as it talks here about John's preaching and his baptism where Jesus is um, or I should say where Paul is he's um, way up now Uh, in Caesarea and Joppa. And it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I'd like to stop here and just give you some ammunition because you are going to be more and more marginalized as time goes on. Can I get an amen on that? You guys can see the writing on the wall. You know, we get a lot of the expressions that we talk about today. We see the writing on the wall. What does it mean? Well, we see what's gonna happen. Um, persecution. Um, I'm gonna get sidetracked here and I wanna talk about that just a little bit, but let's just read down to verse. Um, let's see if I wanna do this Here. I guess this would be a good place to do it. Um, I'm gonna read through verse 40. I think and then I'll come back and cover what I wanna do here. So he is explaining to them, um, what did Jesus ever do that you're offended by him? He only went around doing good things. What, what's your problem with Jesus? He only did good. He only went around helping people. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land and and the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him, God raised on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who has been ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through him whoever believes in him will receive remission from sins. All right. That's all they needed to hear. They just heard the gospel. He was crucified. Those who believe in him, um, they'll be cleansed. And um, whoever believes in him will, will receive forgiveness of sins. What, my sins can be forgiven? My slate can be wiped clean? End of Bible study. Because at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes down and falls on that Bible study group the same way that it did in Acts chapter two. And Peter's watching this. All right, I'm gonna have you turn to Romans 11. So just mark your spot here. We'll come back to verse 44 and finish it off. But I wanna make um, some personal applications. Romans 11, for starters. Uh, And I'd like to read a good portion of this chapter, Romans 11. And it's getting back to this perspective of um, Jews beings and Gentiles. And so we read in verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Now we're talking about if he's Um, the Gentiles can be saved, what's necessary for a Jew? If you hold to the dual covenant uh, theology, then you're already saved just because you're Jewish. So the question is, has God done away with his people? Certainly not. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, if you get witnessed to by a Jehovah Witness, how many of you have been witnessed to by a Jehovah Witness? You're not supposed to let them in your house, but you can go out and talk with them. And um, I usually look forward to it when they come. And um, there's always two of them. One is the trainer. Trainer and the other one there is being trained. Okay, So I ascertain which is which. I want to know who the leader is, and I want to know who the one is learning how to do all this. I made a deal with a guy once. When I first got saved, he was a Jehovah Witness, and this was out in Aspen, and um, He was witnessing to me about being a Jehovah Witness and I was telling him about the Lord. I said, I'll make you a deal. I'll go to one of your meetings if you let me share the gospel apart from the Jehovah Witnesses' point of view and perspective. He said, deal. And so I went and I'm really glad I went because they don't do what we're doing here tonight. What they do is this. They'll put two people in a chair in the middle and then they would begin to teach what you're going to say to them and then what the Christian is going to say back to you and then you tell them this and they don't know their Bible well enough to know and you can work them into sort of a, a cage and you can have them. Their biggest argument, you can say, well, um, um, I, I usually start with this. I say, well, do you believe the Bible? And they go, well, of course we believe the Bible. And uh, I said, "Um, well, literally? Well, yeah, literally. Well, you say you're the 144,000. And I said, can we turn to that chapter in uh, Revelation chapter 7? And I said, can we read that? And doesn't it say 12,000 from the tribe of Judah and Ephraim and Benjamin and uh, so on and so forth, the 12 tribes? To me, that sounds like he's telling them they're Jews. And he says, and then this is what they're trained to do at these sessions. When you go to Revelation 7, then you tell them this. No, God has rejected the Jewish people. And this is called now, they are part of replacement theology. So they say everything that God promised to the Jews is now null and void, and it's been given now to Jehovah Witnesses, and he's done with the Jews, period. And I say, okay, I hear that. Can we turn now to um, uh, Romans chapter 11? And at this point, I have my Bible out, and I want them to read it. So I said, you don't mind reading a couple verses out loud, do you? And uh, they go, no, we'll read them. And so I, I, I I say then, has God cast away his people? Plain enough? And I ask him, is that pretty plain? And he says, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. So you're telling me that God is through with the Jews. But that's not what Romans 11, verse 1 and 2 says. Paul says categorically, absolutely, certainly not. And he goes on to say, I am a Jew, of the Israelites, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, who he plays with God against Israel, saying, Lord, you have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him um, basically, Elijah, you're not alone. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He's not done with the Jews. And he has um, a remnant. And um, like I was talking about earlier in Tiberius, Paul, being a part of this group, would be considered a Messianic Jew. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, we just went, if you're Jewish, you hold to the law. But not all Jews, when they like, have an experience like Paul the Apostle, and are anti-Christian, has, have an experience like that, well, you're changed And he realizes it's all grace and it doesn't have anything to do with the law. Matter of fact, the law is against us. The law is like um, um, proving that we really are sinners. Thou shalt not, and I have. (laughs) And so have you. And so we're all guilty in his eyes. Uh, And then he says, because a serious Jewish person is into keeping the law or trying to, But then in verse 6, and if by grace that it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works it is no longer grace, otherwise works is no longer work. You can't have it both ways. You either say by grace, it's a free gift that you accept it, you're grateful for. Good place for an amen. And we are grateful. And I believe it's the only way that a person can really fulfill the first commandment which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart all your strength all your soul and all your might when I'm if you put and I say this often I know it but it needs repeating if you put yourself in the equation to have anything to do with your salvation you're going to mess up somewhere some way but if you and we do mess up another good place for an amen thank God for first John one verse nine that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from some unrighteousness. <laughs> no, all. And again, that brings this attitude of gratefulness and love, because it's a gift you simply cannot repay. You got to accept it, and that produces this gratitude. Uh, let's pick it up in verse eleven. I say that have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. When a Jew who isn't born again sees the peace that you have, the joy that you have, well that's what they want. And it's actually provoking them to a jealousy, how did you get that? I want what you got. And it's a being provoked to jealousy that has come to the Gentiles. For if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of the flesh and save some of them, For if they're being cast away as a uh, reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and the root is holy, so are the branches. Now this is the main reason I brought you to this chapter here. So what he's saying, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy, the root here is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. What in the world are you talking about, Dwight? He's telling them, look, Gentiles, better be careful when it comes to your reaction to Jewish people. And I want to talk about anti-Semitism right now because the root he's talking about here is what the tree grows up from. It's the base. This is Judaism. It's the root. And he goes on to say that they're the branches. And so he says to them, um, Judaism is the root and the Gentiles are the branches, and he says, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. How many times do we go to the Old Testament to prove our point? How many times do we read a scripture and its fulfillment is the Old Testament? That's the root. So what is Paul saying here? Be careful, Gentiles, you're just a branch. You're not the root. And that supports you. You say then, now this would be the re, rebuttal from a Gentile, while the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God of those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. And here's a big word, and it's gonna cause a lot of controversy because it's this word called if. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you'll be cut off. We're talking about salvation here. All right, short story. Maybe 25 years ago, the man who started the church in Wapaca, the community church there, it's the biggest church in town. His name was Paul Schultz. And um, he had brain cancer. And I was actually legal guardian to his son. He had lost his wife to cancer. And Paul heard we were, at that time, before they wouldn't allow us to be on TV anymore, we were, we, we were known around. And Paul was listening to one of my studies where I was talking about this. And he had just gotten done reading a book called If You Continue. And basically, what it is talking about are these scriptures right here. And the church that he started, the largest one in Wapaka, um, he would drive down here to Calvary Chapel because of this doctrine, because. I believe that I am eternally secure I believe I'm eternally secure I don't know about you guys (laughs) why the word if you continue does everybody here know somebody that has, has walked solidly with the Lord shown good fruit and now no longer is walking with the Lord but is completely back in the world they're not continuing. Same with the parable of the sower, um, of uh, sower of, the, of the seed. Uh, they believed on the Lord, they received it with joy. Uh, but they walked with the Lord for a season, but they weren't part of the ones that were were saved. I know this is probably one of the most controversial statements that are in the Bible because this word if. It's one of the biggest little words that's there. And if you haven't grasped on what I'm showing as the alternative, I'm talking about eternal security. That um, if you're sealed, the argument is how can you be unsealed? How many of you have heard that? So... I don't have any plans on going anywhere (laughs) Um, because of this idea of if you continue. And and with it carries this uh, severity, be careful, if you continue, otherwise what? You'll be cut off too. So what's happening today? In Canada, this was yesterday's news, Anti Semitism has risen to such a degree that it's consuming fifty percent of the population have become anti Semitic. And it's growing more and more and more all the time. Now, behind all this, of course, we know is spiritual warfare. Because what is Satan's ultimate plan? To get rid of the Jewish people. It happened during Hitler's time. I watched the movie Esther just the other night. That's what the whole story is about. That's what the Purim is all about. The complete annihilation of the Jewish people has always been the plan. And so that is being ratcheted up right now. And I find it interesting that the, the most highly percentage vaccinated people to COVID is what nation in the world? Israel. And um, last I heard it was 56%. So behind the, the screen of all this is an attempt by Satan to eliminate the Jewish people. What did the Lord say? He said, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he says, I'm going to turn and you am going to go to the Gentiles. Well, that's what the tribulation is all about. It's the breaking down on uh, um, the second half of the great tribulation period where they're broken. They finally are broken. And um, we don't have enough time or I'd take you to the Old Testament where they call upon the name of the Lord. I believe that's from Petra. And who shows up? The Lord shows up. You're not gonna see me again until... You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord shows up. He defeats the Antichrist, throws the false prophet and the beast into the lake of fire. He binds uh, Lucifer for the next thousand years. He'll use him one more time, and then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. But uh, when Israel is escaping, it tells us that the beast went after them. And when he couldn't destroy them, it says he went back to make war with the rest of the woman, which is a picture form of Israel. Boy, am I getting sidetracked or what? But my point is the rise of anti-Semitism against the Jewish people. And who's behind it is none other than the enemy himself. All right, let's finish this for if you were cut off of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own tree? Talking about, again, Jews that accept their Messiah. They were cut off, but, but grafted back in. All right, let's go back and finish up our study. And we have just uh, four more verses to read. He has given his Bible study. And when they heard that their sins could be forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. While Peter, verse 44, was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. No altar call. Um, when they heard about the forgiveness of sins, they just said, that's for me. That 's what I want they didn't say it outwardly, but God saw their heart just like He saw the heart of uh the man and the thief on the cross he didn't say a word. He just said, "Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. That was the sinner's prayer today you're going to be with me in paradise same here um didn't didn't uh, walk down t- towards the front or raise your hand or anything like that um The Holy Spirit can't come upon you and in you unless you're saved. So what was happening in these people's hearts were they're saying, yeah, that's what I want. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out on the Gentiles also. Inconceivable. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter said, Can anybody forgive, uh, forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I mean, when God saved us and the Holy Spirit came down, it's the same thing that happened to us. How can we not allow them to be a part of, of um, God's work? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And um, in chapter 10, we have, of course, the story of this incident of um, the salvation of the first uh, Gentile. Um, This incident has been called the Gentile Pentecost. Peter was astonished that the Gentiles should receive the Holy Spirit. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit was made audible by them speaking in tongues. The tongues were the evidence to Simon Peter and the others with him that God would save the Gentiles and would give to them the Holy Spirit. Peter would later relate this as evidence that these Gentiles had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and that God had granted repentance unto life to the Gentiles. Um, again, let me call to your attention as we finish up tonight to the fact that the book of Acts records uh, three representative conversions. The Ethiopian, he was a Gentile, um, was the son of Ham. Saul of Tarsus was a son of Shem, <coughs> excuse me, Cornelius was the son of Jephthah. In each instance, the Holy Spirit moved using a man of God and a word of God. So here it was Paul that was used. Um, With um, the Ethiopian, it was Philip, but they were sent for, and they went. And as a result of them going, there was salvation. It changed all of Ethiopia, And here we have the beginning of the very first Gentile being saved. And um, if I had more time, and I'm already past my time, I have a whole nother page of notes here. (laughs) Oh, but I got good news for you. The teaser that I gave you last week, anybody figured it out yet? I'm talking about it on Sunday. Just so you know. See if you can figure it out before then. Let's say, at close. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. As we see that um, you had to deal with Peter firmly because of his self-righteousness, that um, what you have cleansed that he could not call unclean. And call and And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is open to whoever has an open heart and wants forgiveness of sins. And, Lord, it can be so quick. As Peter said, if you believe in him, you'll have your sins forgiven. In that split moment of time, Cornelius and the rest of the people jumped all over it, and your Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they became a part of the body of Christ. We're grateful for our salvation, Lord. And um, we pray that, um, like Philip, like Paul, um, that we would be open to be used in these last days. And so we give you the rest of this night. Um, I know that this Sunday there's going to be people coming to church that only go to church once a year. So I pray for this Sunday, Lord, and I pray for Good Friday, um, that you would work. And in these last days, you would bring more to you.